Good morning. Did you guys have a good week? Amen. That sounds loud. Uh, did everybody get a newsletter? If you didn't get a newsletter at the back, we have our April newsletter. So let me cover a couple things because April is our Super Bowl month. No, there's not real Super Bowl, but it's the church version of the Super Bowl. All right, so for pastors, April, Easter month is like the month. Right, so we're super excited. We got a lot of activities going on. So let me point out these to you guys. We have a ton of things for Easter this year. So on Friday, the 14th, Good Friday at 2:30, Brother Joe's going to be leading a uh, Good Friday worship service. So if you have the ability to get that day off, or you're off and looking for something to do, come join us as we remember at that time the sacrifice of Christ on that cross. It's one of those beautiful days where everybody thought the world was in darkness. But little did we know the greatest and most awesome thing was just starting to happen. So on Friday at 2.30, uh, we'll have Good Friday service. On Saturday the 15th, we'll have our annual Easter picnic. It's going to be fun again this year. We're going to bounce castles for the kids. We'll have some games out there. Probably do an egg hunt, uh, do some egg toss and different games for the adults. And then, of course, we got our Back Row Baptist Barbecue team taking care of things for us. So if you were there last year, it was phenomenal food. And they'll be doing that again for us. What we're asking all of you guys to bring is side dishes, desserts, uh, drinks. Well, those guys will take care of all the meals for us. We're going to do something a little bit different this year as well. As always, the meal is free, so just come, you can take. But what we will be taking up is voluntary donations for the farm fundraiser that we do every year. So if you haven't been to Harmony before, what we do is every year we try to uh, raise funds to send farm animals to people who live in third world countries. What those farm animals do is not only provide food, but they also provide income. And they're delivered by missionaries who show them how do you take care of the animals. And they also kind of get a chance to talk to them about the gospel, who Jesus is, and all those things. Uh, we take it for granted because we're so used to food and, and stuff in our lives. But over there, two or three cows or a few animals can change everything. Not only does it give food, it gives income. And a lot of times it allows the children to go to school. So uh, what we're going to do this year is we're just going to ask people who come, if you feel like giving, donate for the meal. All those donations will go towards that farm fundraiser. But it's not mandatory, so just keep that in mind. Uh, we ask you invite people. It's not just for us. It's for your family. It's for your friends. It's for your neighbors. On Sunday, Easter Sunday, April 16th, we'll have sunrise service at 7.30 a.m. We'll go to about 8.30. At 8.30, we're going to have a nice big breakfast for everybody. 9.30, we'll go back to regular service time, so we'll have Spanish worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 9.30, and then regular English worship at 11 o'clock as well. So that's kind of your, your whole weekend of Easter festivities. I encourage you, invite people, let them know. Uh, we sent out some mailers to the community, so they should be getting this information uh, in the mail in the next couple days as well. But please, invite folks to these things. Um, a couple things I wanted to highlight there with Easter is one, if you guys feel like bringing candy, any bags of candy would be great so we can start filling up those eggs. Uh, Diane, are we good on eggs or do we need more of those too? I'll have to go check over there. If you have Easter eggs, I mean, they're, they're easy to pick up at the store. Bring them. We'll either use them this year or next. But uh, if, eggs and candy would be great for the egg hunt for the kids. Uh, one other thing I'm going to announce around Easter is we do a lot with the children's shelter here in San Antonio. Uh, so we try to make sure we get out there at Christmas time. We've been donating bags in the past. We're trying to get an egg hunt scheduled for the kids uh, before Easter. There's a lot of hoops to jump through when you're working with them. So we're, we don't know if we're going to be able to do that. So if 
if you're interested in coming to the children's shelter and being part of the egg hunt, which I can't guarantee is going to happen, but when we get the green light, we'll let you know. If you're interested, text me, call me, email me, all right? If you don't know my number, it's right here in the bulletin. I'm saying text me because every time I do a sign-up sheet, you know what happens? Nobody signs up. So let's see if you guys can use your cell phones and just let me know if you're interested in coming. If not, we'll take care of it, but we really want to get out there, let the kids know we're thinking about them, do something fun for those children who are stuck in the children's shelter during this holiday season. Uh, one other thing in April, the following weekend, which, oh, I'm sorry, two the weekends, the last weekend of April, which I have in here is the 26th. It's not the 26th. I believe it's April 30th. That'll be our family worship day. So again, if you haven't been with us for a while, family worship day is where everybody's together. We don't do children's church. The kids come in here. We do a lot of songs, some of our kids' songs, some of our adult songs. I speak for a lot less time than normal uh, so that the kids aren't going crazy, but it's just a great fun time for us to worship together. Always after that, we have a potluck and a, a few business meeting notes to go over to let you guys know what's happening. So jam-packed month of April. Get those on your calendars. Let me know if you have any questions. Um, one other thing. Where was it? No, I covered it all. We're good. All right, let's jump in. We are finishing up our ser sermon series on I Am Harmony. And so in this series, what we've been talking about is when you think about your relationship, not just to God, but to the church, is it a relationship where you go to church or is it a relationship where you are the church? A lot of us in our culture, we have developed a mentality of consumerism where we shop for churches. And we go to a church, not asking what can I do for the church, but what can the church do for me? And so a lot of times we're shopping and we're looking around and we're wondering, well, is the sermon's good, but not too long? I don't want to be too long. And I don't need it to be a preacher who makes me feel bad. I want to make me feel good about what I'm doing in my life. And, you know, they need to have a cool children's program for my kids. And, man, it'd be great if they had really awesome music. And, man, if they had a coffee shop or donuts, that's just add on to that. And we have this laundry list of things that we're looking for. And the reality is God goes... This place doesn't exist to serve you. This place exists to generate worship for God, to change the community, and to spread the gospel. Amen. And so what God's looking for is people who come into the church and go, I am here to give everything I have to build the kingdom of God. Amen. And he wants a church body of people that aren't looking around going, well, you know, Harmony doesn't have this, so I'm going to go check that church out down the road. Instead, it's a family that goes, Harmony doesn't have this and they need it. So I'm going to help build it. I'm going to help bring it up within its walls. And so instead of it being this shopping mentality, it's this family mentality. And so throughout this series, I've been pointing you guys to a few key things that I call the keys to the series. And as we look at those things, the important one comes here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. Paul is talking about the church and he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. His point again, the church, well many different people from many different places, comes together in the spirit of God and acts as one. That's the beauty. All these different talents, all these different abilities, all these different backgrounds and stories, united by the blood of Christ to be one family moving forward. We don't see black, we don't see white, we don't see Hispanic, we don't see ethnicity, we don't see socioeconomic background, we see the body of Christ. Amen. And that's how we treat each other. 
The second thing that's important, as I've said, is remember what that spirit is. Not only does that spirit bring us together, but God tells us that is a spirit of not fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And so that means when we look around this room, every single one of us that truly has a relationship with Jesus should be able to look in the mirror and go, there is power, there is love, and there is self-discipline. Now, will they be to varying degrees? Absolutely. And can we always get better? Yes. But if you truly are a believer of God and that spirit lives in you, then power, love, and self-discipline are present. And so, while we may be a small church, what we should see is a powerful church that has the ability to make an impact in the community. Because we are driven not by our weakness, but by a spirit of God that is able to accomplish unbelievable things. And so throughout this series, I've been asking you to think about those things in the context of our mission here at Harmony Baptist Church. Our mission at Harmony Baptist Church is building a family of disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. And so everything that we try to do here, we ask ourselves, does it fit to that mission? Are the actions we take, are the activities that we do, are the things that we preach, do they make sense when we look at that mission? And so throughout this series, what we've done is kind of gone through each of those words and explained them. Now today, I'm going to talk about a topic that is not in here, but is essential for this thing to actually be more than just words on a page. Anybody have a mission statement at the company they work on? Anybody? What I always look at most mission statements is, is every company typically has one. It's only on some plaque or on a business card. But you know what? No one knows what it is. No one lives by it. Nobody makes decisions by it. A mission statement's worth nothing if the people who are part of that organization don't live it, eat it, breathe it, sleep it. Otherwise, it's just words. And so what I've always wanted to make sure for us as a church is, one, that mission statement, it's important that not only do I know it, you guys know it. And not only is it important that we know it, but that we live it. So today I'm going to talk about the thing that enables this to be possible. And it's one of your favorite topics, giving. Now, as soon as you see that, most of you are like, oh gosh, here we go, another tithing sermon from the pastor. Open up the checkbooks and let me feel guilty because I don't give enough money. It's not what this sermon's about. In fact, I'm going to only give you a brief footnote about tithing. If you've been here a while, you know my feelings on tithing. I do not believe in a strict 10% tithe. If you study scripture, tithing was something that was done in the Old Testament for Israelites who lived in the nation of Jerusalem. They actually had three tithes a year. They had one tithe that went to take care of the priests and Levites that helped run the temple. They had another 10% tithe that went to feed the hungry and the poor in their community. And then they had a tithe that split among the festivals that happened every three years. So in all actuality, the people of Israel were actually taxed somewhere between 23 to 26% on their income, not 10%. Tithe does mean 10 but if you actually break out how they were giving, they were giving about 26%. Now, the thing that we often miss in the historical context of this is those people didn't pay taxes. Do you know what they, they paid? Tithes that served like taxes. One was for the infrastructure of the nation. One was to take care of the poor and the hungry. The other was for those special national festivals. 
And so tithing, well, a concept developed by God, was strictly for Israelites in Israel during the period of kingdoms. The other important thing about tithing is it was never money. It was always animals or crops. It was never actual hard cash, currency, coin, gold, none of that. When you look at the New Testament, what God calls for giving to be is grace giving. Which means it is something that you do out of joy. It is something that you do out of passion. It is something that you do to a sacrificial level. And it's something that you do because you know that God can do more with it than you could ever dream of. And so when we give, we need to think about those things in relation to how we give, what we give, and when we give. And this giving concept goes to more than just money. I've been part of churches that are in different places in this city that have a different socioeconomic background. And you know what we always found at those churches? We never had low offering. But man, we couldn't get volunteers to work in the kids' ministry. There, because so many people had money, their solution to every problem was write a check. And sometimes we'd be looking at them going, I don't need a check. I need people back here watching kids. Let me write a check for you for that. That doesn't help. I need people loving, working, talking, teaching children. Your checkbook can't do that. And so what we have to be careful is, is all of us love to give in the way that's easiest for us. We love to give in the way that's least painful. And what God goes, that's not true giving. True giving like love is sacrificial. It's you saying there's something more important than me that I'm willing to sacrifice for. And I'm going to give this over to God knowing that He will do awesome things with it. Now, I'll be honest. I use 10% kind of as the starting point at my home for my conversation each month with God. And so me and my wife, we sit down, we talk about our finances, we look at where we're at, and we determine what can, what can we do this month and how's it going to work. And typically we start around that 10% thing. We just use that kind of as a, a starting measurement for ourselves. And if you're giving 10%, great. But what I want to free you up from is God's not a legalistic person. In the New Testament, you never see Jesus describe just a law that says it needs to be this. And frankly and sadly, I've seen churches treat tithing like this. I actually had a friend who used to come to this church, and he told me about one time he went to a church, and when he wanted to join, they said, well, we're going to need to see your W-2. And we're going to need to make sure that you're given a full 10%. And in fact, we'll do the calculations for you and tell you what it is. And they got into the whole conversation. Is it 10% off net or is it off gross, pre-tax, post-tax? And I'm like, guys, is anywhere in the New Testament do you ever see Jesus that legalistic? In fact, in the New Testament, what does he always fight? Legalism. If you think just matching up to a certain number is going to make you holy, no. You can give 10% and be like, eh, there's my tithe. It means nothing to God. You give $2 and it could be the last $2 you have and you could give it joyously and God would go, blessings to you. Because it's about what's happening here. Amen. Not about hitting a number. The other thing that's funny about 10% is 10% may not be the right number for certain people. What I mean is there may be some of you who need to give more. There may be some of you for 10% on a sacrifice. 10% is like a drop in the bucket for you. 
Some of you may sit there and go, what would true sacrifice look like? See, the problem for all of us as human beings when we set a, a, a standard number to reach for, we get there and we stop. And what we really need to be talking to God about every single day is how I am a good steward of what you've given me. God, of the time, of the ability, of the gifts, of the talents, of the money that you've given me, how am I managing them? And am I managing them in the right way? And am I doing the most that I can possibly do for your kingdom with those things? And so where 10% also has been a penalty to the churches, there are some people who could have done far more, but went, eh, I hit the 10%, I'm good. You've got to think differently. It's about sacrificially, joyfully giving for the benefit of the church. Let me also explain one thing. If you look at this church, there's no business here. There's no income or money that comes into this place except for what you guys freely give to the church. And so, to be honest, I'm kind of shocked sometimes. I'm kind of shocked that we have this building. I'm kind of shocked that we have this land. I'm kind of shocked that we do what we do. Because frankly, this isn't a big group of people. Yet somehow you guys come together and we're able to do all the things that we do on a yearly basis to make the community better and to make the world better and to build the kingdom. But I share that with you because you also need to have an understanding that if we ever want to do more, guess what that means? You've got to give more. Whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's energy, whether it's love, I really don't care. But if we're going to expand from doing more in this place than we are today, that means each and every one of us in this room has to sacrifice more. And so that's where it really gets to the heart of the message of, how bad do you want this? How much are you willing to do for this? See, for each of us in our lives, we probably have things that we're unbelievably passionate about. And on those things, we are constantly striving to be better. We're constantly striving about, how can I sacrifice more so that I see bigger gains? Whether it's working out or eating or a hobby that you have, we're constantly striving to get better, to get better, to get better, to get better. Do you have that desire here? Do you guys ever look at our church and go, man, in two years, I hope we're doubling what we're doing out in the community. And in two years, I hope we're here. I hope we're there. I hope we're accomplishing this. Do you have those kind of visions for your church? Now, I know some of you are going, well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to have those. Guys, if the vision stops here, we're in trouble. Because I'm not that brilliant, I'm not that creative, and I only have so much time. If the vision lives in each of our hearts, man, the world better watch out. And so to kind of paint this picture for you, let me take you through a few places in the Bible that really get to what Christ is looking for in giving. The first thing that we need to understand is in Matthew 6.24, you cannot serve God and money. And in fact, you could just imagine money as having an underline and you could erase that word and fill it in with anything else. You can't serve God and anything else. You either serve God or you don't. And see, a lot of us, what we want to do is we go, well, I serve myself, I serve my own dream, my own vision, my own will, and in any leftover time, energy, money I have, I'll give that to God. Well, guys, you know what? That, that's not serving Him. Frankly, He has no desire in that. I know that sounds weird, but He has no desire for your leftovers. 
Because here's the thing. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your time. God lacks nothing. If God wants to accomplish something, guess what? God will. Amen. He's offering you the opportunity to be part of it. Amen. That's what we miss. We sometimes act like God's ability is dependent on us. It's not. Rather, it is God who is doing awesome, amazing, life-changing, world-shaping things and going, you want to be part of it? I've always kind of envisioned this as like when I, I do projects with my children. Have you ever built something with your kids? It doesn't actually make you build the thing faster. Have you ever noticed that? When my kids and both my boys, if I've got tools out, they're going to drop all their toys and they're going to huddle around dad and go, how can we help? Even Jake, who can barely talk, if I get a screwdriver out, he'll walk up to me and go, help you? Help you? Help you? He wants to be part of it. And what I know is the minute I include them, this project has just doubled in time. And there's about a 25% chance now it'll actually never get done. We may break the item. And I kind of think that's how God sometimes looks at us trying to help him. He's got a plan, man, and we're like, can I help? And he's like, okay. This is going to take some time. In fact, a lot of times when people ask me, why is it taking Christ so long to come back? I think it's because we're helping him. <laughs> I think he let us help, and he's like, this is going to take some time. <laughs> it's going to take a time for these guys to get their acts together. So what we have to understand with God and our relationship with money is, you can't make all the actions of your life about wealth and then say you're a servant of God. And here's the reality. A lot of you guys, you have made wealth and money the dream you're chasing. You're constantly looking for the better job. You're constantly looking for how you can have more money. You're constantly thinking, the solution to my problems is money. I guarantee you, there's some of you in this room, if you're truly honest with yourself, you think a million dollars would solve every single one of your problems. It won't. It won't. In fact, it's amazing that most lottery winners actually end up going bankrupt. Why? They get the money and they realize the problems weren't about the money, they were about themselves. And so while now there's money, they're still messed up. And so I ask you to be careful about what are you truly chasing in your life. I'll tell you one of the saddest things I experienced as a youth pastor. I watched these kids growing up in the church. And they're coming to church, they're reading the Bible, they're studying God's Word. They could tell you the stories. They memorized verses. And then I'd get them right in high school and I'd talk to them about, so what do you want to do with your life? Oh, I want to be a doctor. Why do you want to be a doctor? Because they make lots of money. Well, I want to own my own business. Oh, what, do, you, do you have a passion around some kind of product or service? Or you got an idea? Well, no, I just want to make a lot of money. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, how does a bunch of Christians in the church a bunch of kids who go the desire of my heart and life will be to make money man did we miss the boat if you raise your children to go I want to be rich you've messed up your children should go I want to do something that glorifies God I want to do something that God made me to do why do I want to be a doctor because I want to heal people 
You know what? I don't care how much money they make. I want to make their lives better. And so what I learned through that is there was a lot of us even in the church who what we would say with our words, I follow God. Our kids looked at our lives and go, you follow the dollar. You follow where the money's at. And so we really got to look at that because a lot of us look at it and go, oh yeah, I know, yeah, I don't do that. Do you? Do you? Do you serve God or do you serve the dollar? In Haggai 2.8, God says this, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. God's point? Everything you have is His. Amen. There's not a single thing you have, both materialistically and emotionally, that isn't God's. So one of the things I really had to remind myself of when I had my kids, those really aren't my kids. They're God's. Amen. He's just given them to me. To watch over them, to raise them up, to protect them, and to love them. But they're not mine. Everything you have, everything is His. And so the question starts to become, how are you using what He's given you to build the kingdom? Because here's what we know about God, right? He's very simple. His complete and utter desire is to generate people that love God and love people. So if He comes to you and goes, I've given you all of this stuff, what do you think He wants you to do with it? Help build people that love God and love people. And if you're using that stuff for any other reason, he's going to go, what? what are you doing? Why'd you do that? Did you think I gave this to make your life comfortable? I gave you this to accomplish the mission. And so we really need to think about that and how we use the stuff God gives us. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. I'm going to read to you today, in my opinion, the strangest story Jesus ever preaches. It is, it is a parable that on the first read you go, what? In fact, it's so strange, I often haven't heard sermons about it. Because I think sometimes pastors go, I, I don't really know what to do with that here. So Luke chapter 16, let's jump in. Now remember, Jesus tells parables why. And all parables are, guys, is an analogy. Just an analogy. Instead of him saying the spiritual truth and spiritual words, he uses a real-life experience to describe a spiritual truth. Now, a lot of people go, oh, well, Jesus used parables to make it easy to understand. No. Jesus actually used parables to confuse the Pharisees. He actually used them to confuse the Pharisees who were always trying to trick him and were always trying to make him sound bad. And so he started using these parables because what they determined was if you understood them, you understood what God was about. And if you didn't understand him, you'd be like, why is he talking about some guy planting seeds? You'd never see past the surface level of the story. You'd just see that surface level. If you saw the depth, that meant you were in tune with God and you were understanding what he was about. And so in this parable, it's called the parable of the dishonest manager. He, that being Jesus, also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? So let's break that down. There's a really rich guy. Got a ton of money. So much money, he doesn't manage it on a day-to-day -day basis. 
He has hired a guy who basically takes care of his estate, which frankly is pretty common. Most celebrities, most millionaires, most athletes don't run their books day to day. They hire somebody to do that for them. Well, this rich man finds out from people that it looks like his manager is doing some shady things with his money. And so the rich guy goes to his accountant, to his manager, and says, you know what, bring me the books. I want to see the books. Because I'm hearing rumors that you're not doing good stuff. I want to look at it with my own eyes. Now, immediately, what do we know about the books? Are they going to tell a good story? No, because look at what the manager says. He says, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? See, he condemns himself. He knows as soon as he looks at the books, what's he going to see? Shady dealings. This manager has been using money under the table. He's probably been taking care of himself, family, friends, who knows? But he hasn't been dealing with his master's money well. And he knows the moment he lays his eyes on the financial books, he's going to know that and he's going to get fired. So he's worried about this. And so the man says to himself, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So he kind of logics and he goes, well, once I get fired, no one's going to hire me for this job again. My options at that point will either be a beggar or go do manual labor. And he's like, I'm no good for manual labor and I'm too proud to go beg. I've got to figure something out. I've got to figure out a way in the next few days before he looks at these books to set up my future. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first one, how much do you owe my master? The man said, a hundred measures of oil. The manager said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. You see what he did? So back then you didn't exchange as much money as you did crops and items. And so this man, this other man who has oil reserves, owes a hundred shares of those to the manager or to the, the house owner. The manager calls him in and goes, guess what? Let's just say it's 50. And at this point, he still has the authority to do this. So he cuts this man's debt in half. Look what continues to happen. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. So do you get the shift here? So he meets with two people, and what does he do? He cuts one's debt in half. He cuts the other's debt by 20%. And guys, these measurements, they're huge amounts of money. Huge amounts of money. This isn't like, hey, he saved him a couple hundred bucks. This is like he saved them hundreds of thousands of dollars. Why does he do this? Because he knows when he's out of work, what will those two people owe him? A lot. He's taken two men who owed money to his master. He's cut their debts in half. And what he now knows is those men owe him. And so when he gets fired in three days, guess who he's going to go see? He's going to go see those two guys and go, hey, you remember how I, I saved you like $500,000? I need a job. And those people are most likely going to be very likely to help him. Now here's the funny part. 
Put yourself in the shoes of the master of the house. When you find out about this, how are you going to feel? Would you be a little ticked off? I mean, let's be honest about what the manager is about to find, or the, the master is about to find out about the manager's finances. He's going to look at the books and go, you have been ripping me off. You've been ripping me off for a long time. Second, now that I've determined that, guess what I found out? In the two days it took me to find out you were ripping me off, you went and ripped me off even more. Now, I would imagine that when the master finds that out, what's he going to do? Throw him in jail? Kill him? Surely he's not going to be nice to him, right? But look what happens. It says, The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into their eternal dwellings. Okay, so are you guys confused? You should be. Alright, do you get the story? Master has lots of wealth. Manager's been ripping them off for years. The master finds out. But before he can fire them, the manager steals more money. Why does he steal it? He steals it to secure his future. When the master finds out, he doesn't go, you jerk, you idiot, you punk. He goes, that was smart. That was pretty smart. I commend you on how well you played that. Why does he do that? Because the story that's being painted here is not of godly men. It's of men who rule their lives by money. And so this guy goes, that was a good play. They don't care about honesty. They don't care about doing the right thing. Both these men are motivated by money, and what they say, he says is, hey, that was a great way to protect your future. And so then the question becomes to us, why does Jesus tell the disciples this story? Is this a sign that each of you should embezzle money from your companies you work for? Is this a story about how you should rip people off? No. The point is this. Jesus goes, do you realize what that man did to secure physical comfort for a few years? This punk who has no eternal future, this guy who could care less about heaven, who could care less about the kingdom of God, this guy who only had his sights on material possessions for a few years of his life, was willing to be that creative, that inspiring, that shrewd to figure out a way to secure his future. He goes, he wanted it. And he found a way. And he goes, the sons of light, us, Man, if we'd be that shrewd. Because you guys have heaven waiting for you. You have the kingdom of God standing before you. You have the ability to literally change the world. You have the ability to use what's at your resources to save lives. And you guys are like, eh, I'm good. Meanwhile, this guy who's chasing after nothing is using every ounce of creativity, ingenuity, and wealth at his disposal to find a way to get there. And God goes, man, I wish you guys would be like that. It's not that he wants you to be dishonest. It's that he wants you to want the kingdom. And he goes, this guy used everything he had to get there. 
What are you doing? Because frankly, sometimes I look around the room and we got a million excuses for why we're not getting there. That guy could have easily gone, man, I'm going to get fired. I'm just going to sit here in the office until it happens. Instead, he used every second, every minute to do whatever he could to protect his future. Dishonestly, but he was a dishonest man. God's question is to you and to me, what are you doing with everything that's been given to you to get to the kingdom? Do you want it? Are you striving? Are you using every ounce of who you are to get there? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like it. It's kind of like I've told you before with my own goals in life. There are certain things I desire, and everybody knows it. Why? I spend my time, my money, my energy pursuing them. And it's clear to anybody in my life that I desire those things. There's also these things that I want, and most people don't know about them. You know why? I'm never doing anything to actually get to them. Oh yeah, I want to learn to play the guitar. Do you have a guitar? When's the last time you practiced the guitar? So you don't own one and you don't practice, but you want to play. Okay, <laughs> sure, great, glad you want that. Oh, you want to learn to speak Spanish? Have you taken a class? Are you practicing it right now? No and no? You keep wanting that. We'll see how that goes. You know what desire looks like? Man, I want to get in shape. So what are you doing? I'm only eating vegetables. I don't eat sugars. I don't eat carbs. I work out five times a week. I drink 64 ounces or more of water every day. I'm sleeping seven hours at night because I want to make sure that I'm well rested. You know, everything I do is about that. And you know what? No one wonders. Are you trying to get healthy? Because like, duh. Just look at his life. Everything he does is about it. There's some of you in this room, your friends and family, your coworkers, would be surprised to know that you're a Christian. What? Really? You go to church? That is a terrible, terrible thing for anyone to ever say to you. It'd be literally like a husband talking to his coworkers about his wife and they go, you're married? I didn't know that, man. I mean, I know we worked together for seven years, but it just never came up. That would be scary. So God's message to you is, each and every one of you in this room has been given unbelievable blessings by God. What are you doing with those things to build a kingdom? What are you doing with them? If he showed up right now at your door and said, let's talk. So child, I've given you all these things so that you could go change the world. How are you using them? Would you be able to give them a good list? Or would you be sitting there going, well, um... <laughs> Funny story, had a really good plan on how I was going to use these things to get you there, but uh, got really busy. You know, if you come back in a few years, you're going to like what I've got. Or would you be able to right now sit down and go, well, Father, I use my house to bring people in the neighborhood to come eat dinner with me so that I can share love with them and I can tell them about you. And I use that car that you gave me to help people get from one place to another so they can meet their physical needs. And I use those dollars that you give me to help feed the hungry, to help run my church, to help us lead the kingdom. And hey, those talents you've given me, you know how you made me good at teaching? I use it every week with those kids. Could you give an account like that? 
Or would he sit there looking at you going, I don't know why I gave you all this stuff. I don't know why he gave this to you because you're not using it. That's the point of the story. This dishonest punk put more energy and desire to protecting his future than most children of God do to saving lives. How sad is that? How unbelievably sad is that? What God wants you to do when you look at your life and you look at your wealth is to look at it as an instrument to change the world. And the beautiful part about God is, do you know what He cares about? Not the dollar amount that ends up in that box. He cares about the love, the desire, and the sacrifice that is represented in it. He loves when He sees a group of people who go, I will give everything I've got to follow you, God. God, I will use everything you've given me to save lives. I'm going to give you one last caveat here because some of you, again, will just interpret this message as write a check. Well, we do need more money. I care more about time. We've struggled in the five years that I've been here to keep children staffed, our children's church staffed. Two weeks ago, we went to the food bank and we had four people go. Talked about it for two months. Four people went. Every year we see the same core of people carry most of the weight. It's got to change. Because we can fill, fill the pews with more people, but if the same 20 people are carrying all the weight, we ain't going to do more. And what's really sad is if you're coming here and you're just sitting in pews, you don't even get the best part of this place. The best part of this place is not what's happening today. The best part of this place is when we come together, we get out of these walls, and we change lives. Amen. That's the cool part. What Sunday's supposed to be is like a refresher. It's supposed to be that, man, you're an army of change and love that all week long has just been breaking through walls, sharing the gospel, lifting people up, spreading light, and by Sunday you're like, man, I'm tired. <laughs> We've been kicking so much butt this week. I am tired. I'm going to go to church. You know what church is going to do? It's going to fill me up. At church, I'm going to focus on none of that work. I'm just going to focus on Him. I'm going to pray to Him. I'm going to sing to Him. I'm going to hear from Him. And He's going to fill this heart up. And by the end of Sunday, you know what's happened? I am ready to go. Amen. I am ready for the rest of the week, and I'm sitting there going, bring it. Let's go do this. A lot of us, we act like this is the work. Man, that was a long service. He went to 12.15 again. He keeps saying he's going to go shorter, but he doesn't. Thank God it's only a week till we have to go back again. We'll use this seven days to recover from that unbelievably boring sermon. Try to remember what the heck he said and make it through another one. This isn't the work. This is the refresher. Every single day of your lives, you have the opportunity to build the kingdom. Every day. Do you realize? I mean, here's what I love, guys. At work, I spend all my time doing stuff that will never matter. We build these cool apps and great technology. You know what happens? In six months, it's obsolete. No one even remembers it. 
more important thing is every day I work with people that I can build love with, I can build trust with, I can build a relationship with, that I can show them that Christ is this unbelievable, awesome person, and they may want to follow Him too. Every single day. You don't work at McDonald's. You don't work at Lowe's. You don't work for a USAA. You don't work for a company. You work for God. Amen. The place you go to is simply a field in which you are given the opportunity to share life with people. Jesus, and too many of us, some of you are already probably starting to regret tomorrow. Any of you, do you get home and already the cloud of Monday starts to set upon your head? Like around 2 o'clock Sunday, you're like, oh man, Monday. <sighs> Monday. I bet half of you, if I could give you a pill that would put you to sleep from Monday and wake you up Friday at 5, you'd take it. I bet half of you, you'd really think about that. So wait, I can just be cognizant during the weekends? Monday through Friday is just kind of like a nap? Okay, let's do that. Sad. Every single day is a gift. And guess what? The worse your job is, the brighter your light shines. If you're in a really bad place with really bad bosses, where people are shady, guess what? When you're honest, you're loving, and you're caring, you are going to be like a beacon. Take those opportunities. The whole point of this series has been for you guys to think differently about church. Stop thinking about coming here to get stuff. Start thinking about being the church. Start having a passion in this heart to build the kingdom. And start looking at everything you have as an opportunity to change the world. I'm going to ask Marie to come up and lead us in a final song. I'm going to ask Brother Joe to come up with me. Me and him are going to be up the front to pray with you. Brother James will be at the back. Guys, make sure you're having the right conversations with your father. Make sure you're really talking to him about what he wants for your life and how he's empowered you to make a difference. There's something on your heart you've got to pray about. There are people in this room. You come up and you pray or you seek us out after service. Maria?